Well, I want to welcome everyone once again and welcome those who are watching online and look forward to you to meeting you in person here at Graceland. And today I want to talk to you about courageous obedience. Would you say that with me? Courageous obedience. I've told this story before, but I want to share with you again. When I first began to follow Jesus Christ, I, I was hungry to learn about the Bible and hungry to learn about what it looked like to follow Jesus Christ. So I was in a Bible study. Early, I was in my early 20s, a bunch of early 20-something-year-olds, and, and we were meeting in the home. And I was in this Bible study, and um, I was single and ready to mingle, right? So I, I um, <clears throat> had two goals. The first goal was to grow as a a follower of Jesus, and the second goal was to finally get the guts to ask this one particular girl out on a date. And uh, so those were my two goals. And so we're this one particular night, and uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready to start, and one of my buddies brings this new uh, girl with him, and uh, no one had met her before. And so we're sitting there, and we begin to talk about Scripture, and we begin to talk about our life and our journey. We're, we're growing together, and halfway through the group, God begins to put on my heart. He says, hey, I want you to go up to that new girl, and I want you to tell her that God loves her. I'm thinking, was that the pizza talking last night? <laughs> and I thought, well, it, it lines up with Scripture, okay? Anytime that God speaks to us, it's not from Scripture. It's not from Him. So that's, that's the case, but there's no way I'm doing that. And so I have this argument with God, back and forth, back and forth. I go, I'm saying, no, I'm not going to do it. He's saying, yes, please do it. I'm going, she's going to freak out. She's going to think I'm some wacko. She's never going to come back. And then I'm not going to have a chance with this other girl. You know, all these things are conflicting in my mind. Finally, I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll take a courageous step of obedience. So after we're done, I go up to this girl and I say, look, I don't know you from Adam. And I know this is going to be really crazy. And I'm sorry if it is, but I just want you to know that God loves you. He wants me to tell you that. And she just starts bawling, like right there, just breaks, oh, you know, right down in front of me. And I said, see, God, you see, you see that? You should have followed, you should have listened to me all along. Well, as the night unfolded, because we went out and hung out as a group and stuff, as the night unfolded, we understood her journey that she had just recently had an abortion. And those words could not have been more perfect. And I got to see uh, the after effects month after month after her growing in, in her new relationship with Jesus Christ, and her life was totally changed. It was unbelievable. Now, I want you to fast forward with me, uh, probably 10 years or so, and now I'm a more mature follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm in a room full of real important people, and I'm like the odd duck out. I mean, I'm Ray, not important at all. And there's all these important people in the community, and I'm going to ask them a big question about if our church can, can do this and that and all this other stuff. So I'm sitting there, and God says, I want you to go up to that person individually, and I want you to give them a scripture that I have for them. And I started having the same argument back and forth, but this time I didn't obey. And to this day, I still wonder what would have happened if I had courageously obeyed. Today, I really think that God has a message for you. I think he wants to speak into your heart and your life. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 46 together. If you want to get out your smartphone, your tablet, or your Bible, uh, we want everyone to open up God's Word, even if we're not a follower of Christ. Get it out, read it, and follow along with us. There's a Bible in your seat back in front of you. Get that Bible out. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. Put your name on it. It'd be our gift to you, okay? Genesis chapter 46 is the first book in the Bible. 
And what I believe is that courageous obedience allows God to open the floodgates into our hearts and lives and to work through us. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter 46, um, we've been going through this preaching series called Joseph. And we started seven weeks ago, we've been in this journey, and we started when he was 17 years of age. He was born into a Bronze Age dysfunctional family. He was born 1,600 years before Jesus Christ. And this family is crazy. He's the youngest of 12 brothers, right? Remember, he's tall and he's handsome and he's got a, a, a fantastic future, but his brothers are jealous. And so they throw him in a well and they take him out of the well and then they sell him into slavery, right? And you thought your family was weird and messed up. But that was like the epitome of being a bad sibling. And so they sell him into slavery, eventually finds himself a slave to Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt. And he rises in the ranks in that household till he runs the household of Potiphar. Well, Mrs. Potiphar thinks that he's good looking. She advances on him. He turns her down because of his faith and a relationship with God. And so she makes something up that he was trying to rape her. And then uh, Mr. Potiphar gets mad at Joseph. He throws him in prison and Joseph finds himself 12 to 14 years in prison. And then somehow, some way, he ends up talking to this one guy who ends up being the cupbearer for the, for the king of Egypt named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh hears about Joseph, brings him. And then eventually God does this unbelievable thing where Joseph ends up the second in command in one of the most powerful empires in, on the planet at the time. And he oversees the preparations to overcome a famine that's worldwide. Well, the famine touches the brothers back in Canaan. They make their way to Egypt to try to find the supplies for their family. And so the brothers are, are bowing before Joseph, they, they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And, and through this course of it, as we learned last week, he reveals himself and there's this unbelievable reconciliation. If you, if you didn't, weren't here last week, you need to go back and watch it. Larry did a great job um, in that. But through that, he says, hey, brothers, I want you to go back to my, my dad, Jacob, or, the, or Israel, as we're going to learn he's called, and I want you to tell him that I'm alive. I want you to bring all of your families back, the whole clan, to Egypt. You can live here. I've got land for you. This is where, let's put the band back together again, okay, in essence. And so Genesis chapter 45 is what happens. And so they go back to Egypt, or to Canaan, and they tell Jacob, and Jacob is responding to that in Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So the attention turns off Joseph onto Jacob, and that's where we start our study today. Let's read in verse 1. So Israel, that's Jacob, set out with all that was his, And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. God said, I am the God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, as we look at Jacob's life a little bit in this part of Genesis 46, I'm going to pull out three different lessons about courageous obedience. The first one is this, that courageous obedience leaves comfort to live out calling. Courageous obedience leaves comfort to live out calling. Jacob is responding to the invitation of Joseph. He leaves the comfort of his home to lean into the calling that God has for his Life. Now, notice with me in our study together that he leaves and stops at this place called Beersheba. Now, it doesn't really mean much to you and I unless we know the geography. Beersheba was the southernmost part of the nation of Israel. It was the point of no return for Jacob. 
In other words, he stops there to worship God, to thank God, but then he also to make sure that he's doing what he needs to do, that it wasn't the pizza the night before, in, a, in essence. So he's there, and he, he, he has this dream. God speaks to him very clearly. The Spirit of God speaks to him, and he's given this courageous, obedient step to leave his comfort and to step into his calling. You got to make sure that you actually hear from God that lines up with Scripture. It's not God. Otherwise, things can go very wrong very quickly, right? You got to have the right directions. Reminds me, there's this uh, woman who was getting ready to be married, and she was really nervous about being married. And not to the guy that she was going to marry, but to to have the ceremony, because it's very stressful, right, and the reception. And so about a month before, she calls the caterer up, and she says, hey, look, I'm really nervous about the, the actual day. Would you please have on the wedding cake inscribed my favorite Scripture? The caterer says, no problem at all, no big deal. And so uh, she says, my favorite scripture is 1 John 4, 18. And and that says, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Great, great scripture to have inscribed on the cake. So about a week before the wedding, the caterer calls her up and says, are you sure that you want this particular scripture inscribed on your cake? She says, yes, I want that. That's the one that it's been my, my, my theme verse for, very, for a long time in my life. The, the caterer says, are you sure it's, it's not, doesn't seem to be congruent? And he, she says, no, please put it on the cake. Okay, we'll do it. So the wedding, the wedding um, ceremony goes great. And then and the reception is taking place. And she walks up to the wedding cake. And she sees that on the cake is not 1 John, but John 4.18 that says this, you have had five husbands. <laughs> and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Right? So Jacob, he wants to make sure that what he's hearing from God is actually God. But once he hears from God, what begins to happen is that he leaves his comfort to lean into his calling. Now, you and I may go, well, I think he had kind of a a cakewalk because he had this, you know, all this land set up in Egypt and his son was in great command and he kind of knew what was in front of him. But you don't know Jacob. He was 130 years of age. And not only that, if he was living today, he would have already been in social security for 65 years. He's old. All that he ever knew was home. But yet he leaves it all. And it's obvious from scripture that he's afraid Because God even says, do not be afraid. But it's interesting to note the geography here. See, it was in the same exact area that Abraham, many years previous, had stopped and lived there after taking a massive step of faith to offer up Isaac. It's interesting that in the family line, Abraham and now Jacob are being asked to take steps of courageous obedience. And God says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. He was afraid, Jacob was, because, well, after all, it was his life, his future, his family's future, his family's line future, and he knew the Abrahamic covenant. If you want to study a little bit more of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Abraham is promised by God that his, his little family would become a nation, and, 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 and Jacob doesn't want to um, be the, the link that breaks that whole incredible deal. Now, if you fast forward, the disciples in the New Testament, they were asked to leave comfort as well and to lean into their calling. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples right before he ascends, he says, look, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so what do they do? They leave their calling. They lean, they lean into their, 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 they leave their comfort. They lean into their calling, right? And they begin to do just that. And then what happens? 
they actually discover opposition and discomfort. Just like, just like Jacob would, the disciples do. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse 18, it said to the officials, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. And I think this underscores something, that when we, um, in our Christian circles and bubbles, think that when we're, we're going to follow God, we think that we're just going to be shielded from everything that's discomfort. If you think that your life is just going to be up and to the right, then you have bad theology you got to understand here that, that many times when you leave comfort and you lean into your calling, what's going to happen is opposition, is discomfort. I mean, I was on my way to minister one day many years ago, and I'm on my way, I'm late, and I get pulled over for speeding. And right before the police officer walks up to me, I told God, this is what I get for serving you. See, I, there's something inside of us like, Maybe we think, you know what? I attend church twice a month. I mean, that should at least get me out of being sick and my kids being sick. Have you ever, or, or maybe, look, I read the Bible, God. I mean, that should get me to the point where, you know, maybe I can marry a, a beautiful female or marry an incredible man someday. Or, or maybe you think, you know what? I, I try to obey God the best I can. God, would you please? You know, it, I'm deserved uh, that my sports team would, be an, would have an undefeated you know, season this year. But every single time I've left co- uh, comfort to lean to my calling, I've experienced opposition. See, if you decide to say what Jacob said, you know what he said there in the text? If you can look back and, and, and underscore it, he said, here I am. Here I am. I surrender. Just like Samuel did in 1 Samuel 3. He said, here I am. Matter of fact, if you don't experience opposition, if you don't experience discomfort, well, then Satan doesn't think you're much of a threat at all. And so what we have to understand here is that courageous obedience will inevitably lead us to leave our comfort and to lean into our calling. So maybe God is leading you today. Today, God is going to challenge you to get out of your debt or to live within your means, which is a biblical principle. So you're going to, you know, sell the house that you live in and, and buy something a little bit smaller. Or you're going to get out of the car that you're leasing and you're trying to buy, and you're getting into a car that may be something a little bit more affordable for you. You're going to encounter opposition. People are going to be like, why would you do something like that? You need to have a house like us, or you need to have a car like us. People around you are going to be snarky about it. They're going to be like, that's a stupid decision. But you're going to remember the scripture that says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Or maybe today as a family, you decide, you know what, my children are not going to play in this sports league because we're never able to gather as a church family. And Scripture says, do not forsake the gathering. In Hebrews, about gathering together as believers. You make that decision, people are going to look at you like, but you know what, Ray, if you don't put your daughters in that specific sports league, well then, you know, they're not going to be Olympic stars someday. And then I'm going to say back, well, look at me, all right? I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to say they're going to miss out on a D1 scholarship or whatever the case is. You're going to face opposition. Or maybe you fathers, you dads out there, maybe today God's going to ask you to take a step of courageous obedience, and he's going to help you to to prioritize your life, that you're going to take God and what he wants you to do, and he's going to take your family, and he's going to say everything else falls underneath, your hobbies, your business, your job, whatever the case is. People are going to oppose that as well. I have a really good friend of mine, 
And uh, we were sitting down talking. And he just put me to school last week. He, he told me that um, he was sharing with me a little bit of his career story. He's so humble, but God has given him promotion after promotion after promotion in a very large corporation. And he said, Ray, every time a promotion comes up, I look at them across the table and with love I say, look, if this promotion is in any way going to endanger my relationship with God or my family, the answer is no. I wonder how many times they've heard that. Or maybe today God is, you know, asking you to take a courageous step of obedience, right? To, he's asking you to reconsider how you're going to spend your golden years, your years of retirement, the years where you're supposed to live in comfort and to travel and do all these things and play golf every day. Maybe God is saying, maybe that's not the best way to spend your time. Maybe it's to serve your grandchildren, your family, and to, to, to leverage what you have and leverage the time and pour into the next generation to serve your church and serve your God. Or maybe you're single today. And culture around you would say, you know, you need, to, you need to have somebody with you. You need to be in a relationship. But maybe God is saying to you, you know, I want you to just have a, take a courageous step of obedience. I want you to be alone so that I can be your all. God is saying, and you can serve me and discover what I have for you. Courageous obedience leaves comfort and leans into calling. The second lesson that we find here is that courageous obedience can often pave the way to experience the miraculous. I love this. Look, look at it with me, the text in verse 3 and following. God is saying to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. And then he says, you can underline, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. Now, I want you to catch what you just underlined. He just promised the miraculous in Jacob's life. Jacob's family is just a little teeny clan, maybe not much bigger than your clan here in southern Indiana. But here, God is saying, I'm going to unleash my provision to fulfill my promise. You see, when Jacob obeys, when we obey, God's promises are met with God's provision in our life. I've witnessed this firsthand in my life many times. One of the most miraculous moments in Sarah and I's uh, walk with the Lord was that we were uh, in a church and I was serving as a teaching pastor and also overseeing college and singles. And we, had the t- we were having the time of our life, weren't we? We had uh, Sarah's dream house. We had just bought a house and uh, we, we loved our neighbors. We loved where we lived. We loved the church. It was a church about this size. And and the ministry was growing, despite me, and it was all her. Everyone you know, knows that if they know me and Sarah. Anyways, it was just flourishing. We were seeing all these incredible things happen, and God was doing all these great things. And God began to, through his word, begin to put on my heart that I was going to have to take a step of faith. So I, I, I started checking the word of God, and we began to fast and pray, and the spirit of God began to illuminate this. And then I went to my senior pastor and I said, look, this is a little big of a step for me, but do you see this in me? And basically, we all came to the conclusion that God was leading Sarah and I for me to start pursuing becoming a senior pastor. In fact, that church kind of wanted me to become that at that church, but we felt like that, that wasn't what God wanted for us. Well, one of the big obstacle that was in front of us was is that we were in the Great Recession. And if anyone remember that pain, we owned a home and trying to sell a house, and that was a pretty big deal, right? For you to even break even, let alone make any money, was just a pipe dream. Well, long story short, we sit down with a real estate agent. After we had already decided to move from where we were and take a position that had been offered to us, 
and we sit down with this real estate agent. Real estate agent's in this room right now. I want you to listen to this. This is amazing. He goes, okay, before you sign with me and you have to pay me a commission, here's what we're going to do. I know this house was built by this one architect and designed by it, that he's only built two houses in the area. Yours is one and there's another one over there. And I have a client that just lost out on buying this other house. I know they're going to be interested in your house. Before you sign, let's just see if we can work a deal out and see if you guys can figure this out. So long story short, in a few days, they had seen the house. They had liked the house. We negotiated. We had a contract, and we walked away making money on a home we owned in the Great Recession. And my senior pastor said to me, now you know that it's divine intervention. You see, courageous obedience can unleash the miraculous in your life. I would never have that story had I not made that step. Recently, I heard another story of an unbelievable happenstance where this wife was attending church with her family and their husband wasn't really interested in God, always far from God. And, and she found, come to find out he had an affair with her, on her. And, and, and so long story short, she feels like God wants her to take the step of courageous obedience to reconcile with him. And so she takes that step and begins to forgive him and reconcile with him. Well, months later, he begins to just out of the blue start attending church. And then one day, he would then ask Christ to begin to become the Lord and Savior of his life. He begins to follow Jesus, and his life completely transforms from the inside out. And then his family all together gets to see him go public in his faith in baptism. That's supernatural. That's miraculous. Only problem with the whole story is that they were cat lovers. All right, I know... I knew that there had to be a negative to it. Not everyone's perfect, okay? But I want you to think about it with me for a second. Let's think, go back to Jacob. That Jacob is promised a nation, and it's a miracle how God can, can invite us into part of his family through his son's death and resurrection. And how that, the gospel, it is the greatest miracle. Listen to me, it's the greatest miracle that we could ever experience in our entire life. And the third lesson that I want to share with you today is, is that courageous obedience requires steps of faith. Courageous obedience requires steps of faith. Let's keep reading verse 4 and following. God is saying to Jacob, Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Now, I want you to take notice of just a few th small things here real quickly. First of all, underline, Joseph will close your eyes when you die. What that means is this, that, that, that Joseph was literally going to be there when Jacob would pass away. And if I'm there and God is saying that to Ray Green, I'm going to be like, oh, time out. I got a few questions right there. First of all, when's that going to happen? When's that going to happen, and where will that happen, and is it going to hurt, and how's the funeral going to go? Are they going to say anything bad about me, and how's the legacy going to be? Are they going to laugh? Are they going to be sorrowful? Is it going to be packed out? I mean, let's just be real, right? We'd be wondering a lot of these questions and more, but Jacob doesn't do this. What does Scripture say as soon as God promises this? What does he say? What does it do? Say, then Jacob, what does it say? Then Jacob left. You see, it was obedience for Jacob 
Courageous obedience. See, when you begin to take courageous steps of obedience, it's going to require faith. And how God is going to do it, he revealed it to Jacob as he's going to reveal his will one step at a time. The psalmist, the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 119, 105. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now, here's what I want you to understand. So many times we want our path to look like this. We want every single path and step along the way illuminated. We want to see the end goal in mind. We want to see everything in mind. But what God is going to do, based upon what he just said in his word and what he did in Jacob's life, he's going to illuminate one step in front of the other. It's going to be dark, but he's going to give you the next step. So you take that next step. And then he's going to give you another step, and you're going to walk in that step. And then he's going to give you another step, and you're going to walk in that step because God is illuminating every single step on the path that you are to take. Right? And you're going, to have to be, you're going to have to be mindful that you can't walk by your own eyesight. I mean, Israel did that with Goliath. They saw a giant, eight feet tall, armor that weighed as much as a man. But David, steps of courageous obedience and faith, he looks at uh, Goliath. He, d- he takes a stone, slings it into the forehead of that giant, and he fells a giant. Friends, I want you to be encouraged by the fact, don't ever let your, the size of your mountain determine the size of your God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I'll never forget, there was a season in my life where I had to take a dramatic step of faith. And it involves the life of this church. Three and a half years ago, my wife and I came to Graceland. And we had the awesome opportunity to join this church and to serve as pastor here. And when I came here, what I, here's what I discovered. A bunch of good people, but a lot of, a lot of uh, fighting going on. Um, there were some struggles, some decline that had been happening. Kind of wondering what was the next step. A little bit of, a lot of fear. It wasn't a great time in the life of grace, and a lot of people were hurting. Some had left. Well, through all of that, I began to ask, like, God, what are you doing here? And he began to give me the next step. And the next step was for us to rediscover the expressions of evangelism and discipleship, just like he did for the disciples. And so as a church, we begin to take those steps one by one by one. Well, God began to grow the church. God began to see unbelievable things happen. And financially and all these things, God began to bless in ways that we were shocked by. I was shocked by. I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was. Well, fast forward the case. Now God began to give me a new step. And that new step was, hey, what if we were able to revitalize uh, different churches in rural areas all throughout the area? I thought, well, that would be incredible. But man, I don't know if we could financially do it. I don't know if we really have the opportunity. Well, lo and behold, a couple guys wandered to Graceland and said, hey, we've got this church ready to close down. Uh, it's just a few of us that are attending. It's going to shut down. The, earth, you know, the youngest is like 65 years of age. And so God showed us and illuminated the next path. He said, I want you to re- re- redo this. The elders felt led to, the staff, the leaders, we felt led to do this. And so we stepped into it. It cost us money. It was a massive step of faith. It, it, if it would have failed, you all looked at me and stoned me for being a false prophet, right? I think it's important for us to try stuff. If we fail, hey, you know what? That's a 
part of life too. But anyways, the case is, is that on Easter of this last year, right, Palmyra had 120 plus people in it. And that we would have seen ba- people baptized at that church. And the parking lot needs to be expanded, just like it needs to be expanded here. But we are running out of room, and it's because we were able to take one courageous step of obedience, of faith, at a time. I, there's another story I heard recently about a young couple. And they were battling over financial fears of tithing. And he, he writes this, the husband does. He says, we knew we wanted to tithe. We were selfish. On paper, it was impossible. After months of conversation, we decided we would take a leap of faith towards it. So they start tithing. And in the second week into tithing, my wife got a ticket for not stopping at a stop sign. My wife was devastated because she knew we didn't have the money to, to pay for the ticket and to continue being faithful and giving back to God. So she got pulled over again just a few blocks away for renting another one. The police officer saw her breakdown in tears, he writes. And he said, give me the ticket. And he rips it up and he said, look, I was really bad to my third grade teacher. He knew that she was a teacher. And he said, this is kind of redemption for me. Anyways, he went on to share how God began to be faithful to them, even though it didn't make sense on paper. And he writes this. We never started giving back to God because we wanted to get financial reward for it. We started to do this because we know we needed to be obedient to God, and it took faith. You see, we don't see a delay in Jacob. We don't see a delay in the disciples either. In Acts chapter 5, verse 21, an angel comes to the disciples and said, you are going to need to do X, Y, and Z. And in that verse, it says this, hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I put in your notes these phrases, postponed obedience is disobedience. Halfway obedience is disobedience. Would you be willing, because of what Christ did, to take up your cross, to follow him, as Paul said, to press on towards the goal and courageously obey taking steps of faith. And I've seen this examples in front of me before. We've had friends of ours. And one day God began to put on their heart and their life the next step, and that was to become foster parents. And it was a disruption to their life, and so they began filling out paperwork and contacting the state and all these things. Long story short, now they're fostering children, and they, and they said to us, Ray, we're so glad we started. If you read throughout Scripture, what you find is some of those disciples and apostles, they were called to go places and do things, and they would never return. They'd become martyrs. And I wonder if God is calling some of you to go places and do things, and you'll never return. Isaac Watt, he said it this way, we're the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. So if it's small obedience, would you take that step? Because the little steps turn into the big steps. I'll never forget it, that as an early young believer, I began to be discipled to open up the Bible and begin to read it for myself in the mornings. And so I began this tradition in my heart and my life and my rhythms where I'd wake up between 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, a hot cup of coffee in my hand, crack open the Word of God and begin to pray and ask Him to illuminate and for Him to show me what is the next uh, step of dramatic obedience in my life. And He would say, here's your next step, and I would walk in it. And I'll tell you what, it's been step after step after step after step after step, and I find myself here today, and you find yourself here today, possibly as well, if you've been following after him. And that is what courageous obedience 
looks like. And so what I want to ask you today is this. What is God asking you to do? No matter your age, no matter your stage, what is he asking? What step of courageous obedience has he put in front of you? Friends, I want to encourage you. You may say, well, that's too big of a step, right, what he's put in front of me. Or you, I'm a failure, or I've tried in the past and I've failed before. Let me tell you, you're not in bad company. <laughs> there was a young leader named Joshua. And God said, hey, I got a plan, a dramatic <laughs> step of obedience for you. You're going to lead an entire nation into the land that I've given them. And Joshua boxed on. He says, there's no way because the legend before me, <laughs> the legend before me couldn't do it. And God speaks a word into his heart, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your feet treads, just as I promised Moses. Now, one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Now, why did God say that to Joshua? Two things. Number one, because when you courageously obey and take steps of faith, you've got to understand that you can't be tied to the past. You can't be tied to what you did yesterday, and you can't certainly be tied to what happened 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even yesterday. One author, he says it this way, some of you may not have gotten to your destination by now because you are still tied to Moses. Yet to move forward and attain your tomorrow, it is important that you say goodbye to yesterday. If God is going to take you where he wants you to go, you can't be tethered to where you have been. See, here's my, here's my uh, encouragement to you. It's time to look up and not back. And when you begin to look up, he gives you the strength to take steps of courageous obedience. Second thing, that God's, the reason why God says that to Joshua, because it takes feet of faith to, to take the journey in front of you. Here's what's so incredible. Big picture here. Let me draw and, and, and connect a bunch of dots, okay? Joshua's feet carry him to the place Go back with me 400 plus years that Jacob was promised to go. God said to Jacob, you're going to be a nation. And Joshua's feet of faith, just like Jacob's, take them where they need to finally be. What is God asking you to do? What is that one step in front of you? He's asking 